book one section thirteen of the world as will and idea volume one by arthur schopenhauer translated by r b haldane and j kemp this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine book one the world as idea section thirteen all these discussions of the advantages and disadvantages of the application of reason are intended to show that although abstract rational knowledge is the reflex of ideas of perception and is founded on them it is by no means in such entire congruity with them that it could everywhere take their place indeed it never corresponds to them quite accurately and thus as we have seen many human actions can only be performed by the help of reason and deliberation and yet there are some which are better performed without its assistance this very incongruity of sensuous and abstract knowledge on account of which the latter always merely approximates to the former as mosaic approximates to painting is the cause of a very remarkable phenomenon which like reason itself is peculiar to human nature and of which the explanations that have ever anew been attempted are insufficient i mean laughter on account of the source of this phenomenon we cannot avoid giving the explanation of it here though it again interrupts the course of our work to do so the cause of laughter in every case is simply the sudden perception of the incongruity between a concept and the real objects which have been thought through it in some relation and laughter itself is just the expression of this incongruity it often occurs in this way two or more real objects are thought through one concept and the identity of the concept is transferred to the object it then becomes strikingly apparent from the entire difference of the objects in other respects that the concept was only applicable to them from a one-sided point of view it occurs just as often however that the incongruity between a single real object and the concept under which from one point of view it has rightly been subsumed is suddenly felt now the more correct the subsumption of such objects under a concept may be from one point of view and the greater and more glaring their incongruity with it from another point of view the greater is the ludicrous effect which is produced by this contrast all laughter then is occasioned by a paradox and therefore by unexpected subsumption whether this is expressed in words or in actions this briefly stated is the true explanation of the ludicrous i shall not pause here to relate anecdotes as examples to illustrate my theory for it is so simple and comprehensible that it does not require them and everything ludicrous which the reader may remember is equally valuable as a proof of it but the theory is confirmed and illustrated by distinguishing two species into which the ludicrous is divided and which result from the theory either we have previously known two or more very different real objects ideas of sense perception and have intentionally identified them through the unity of a concept which comprehends them both this species of the ludicrous is called wit or conversely the concept is first present in knowledge and we pass from it to reality and to operation upon it to action objects which in other respects are fundamentally different but which are all thought in that one concept are now regarded and treated in the same way till to the surprise and astonishment of the person acting the great difference of their other aspects appears 
this species of the ludicrous is called folly therefore everything ludicrous is either a flash of wit or a foolish action according as the procedure has been from the discrepancy of the objects to the identity of the concept or the converse the former always intentional the latter always unintentional and from without to seem to reverse the starting point and to conceal wit with the mask of folly is the art of the jester and the clown being quite aware of the diversity of the objects the jester unites them with secret wit under one concept and then starting from this concept he receives from the subsequently discovered diversity of the objects the surprise which he himself prepared it follows from this short but sufficient theory of the ludicrous that if we set aside the last case that of the jester wit must always show itself in words folly generally in actions though also in words when it only expresses an intention and does not actually carry it out or when it shows itself merely in judgments and opinions pedantry is a form of folly it arises in this way a man lacks confidence in his own understanding and therefore does not wish to trust to it to recognize what is right directly in the particular case he therefore puts it entirely under the control of the reason and seeks to be guided by reason in everything that is to say he tries always to proceed from general concepts rules and maxims and to confine himself strictly to them in life in art and even in moral conduct hence that clinging to the form to the manner to the expression and word which is characteristic of pedantry and which with it takes the place of the real nature of the matter the incongruity then between the concept and reality soon shows itself here and it becomes evident that the former never condescends to the particular case and that with its generality and rigid definiteness it can never accurately apply to the fine distinctions of difference and innumerable modifications of the actual therefore the pedant with his general maxims almost always misses the mark in life shows himself to be foolish awkward useless in art in which the concept is unfruitful he produces lifeless stiff abortive mannerisms even with regard to ethics the purpose to act rightly or nobly cannot always be carried out in accordance with abstract maxims for in many cases the excessively nice distinctions in the nature of the circumstances necessitate a choice of the right proceeding directly from the character for the application of mere abstract maxims sometimes gives false results because the maxims only half apply and sometimes cannot be carried out because they are foreign to the individual character of the actor and this never allows itself to be entirely discovered therefore inconsistencies arise since then kant makes it a condition of the moral worth of an action that it shall proceed from pure rational abstract maxims without any inclination or momentary emotion we cannot entirely absolve him from the reproach of encouraging moral pedantry this reproach is the significance of schiller's epigram entitled scruples of conscience when we speak especially in connection with politics of doctrinaires theorists savants and so forth we mean pedants that is persons who know the things well in the abstract but not in the concrete abstraction consists in thinking away the less general predicates but it is precisely upon these that so much depends in practice to complete our theory 
it remains for us to mention a spurious kind of wit the play upon words the columbourg the pun to which may be added the equivocation the double entendre the chief use of which is the expression of what is obscene just as the witticism brings two very different real objects under one concept the pun brings two different concepts by the assistance of accident under one word the same contrast appears only familiar and more superficial because it does not spring from the nature of things but merely from the accident of nomenclature in the case of the witticism the identity is in the concept the difference is in the reality but in the case of the pun the difference is in the concepts and the identity in the reality for the terminology is here the reality it would only be a somewhat far-fetched comparison if we were to say that the pun is related to the witticism as the parabola of the upper inverted cone to that of the lower the misunderstanding of the word or the prid pro quo is the unintentional pun and is related to it exactly as folly is to wit thus the deaf man often affords occasion for laughter just as much as the fool and inferior writers of comedy often use the former for the latter to raise a laugh i have treated laughter here only from the psychical side with regard to the physical side i refer to what is said on the subject in the parerga volume two chapter six section ninety eight end of book one section thirteen recording by expatriate in bangor maine